G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. We're going to be talking about the times we are living in. These times where the changes in our Australian culture are described as a cultural and sexual revolution. Well, we're making sense of this today, exploring the biblical concept of reading the times by developing a deep understanding of Christian perspectives and the world in which we live. In Western Australia tomorrow, a Reading the Times conference will focus on the ways in which the sexual revolution has impacted our civilization. A lineup of speakers will address issues like the rise of the surveillance state and the politicization of the science around gender and sexuality. Well, our special guest today is Stephen Herworth. Stephen is an enrichment teacher promoting classical Christian education with St. Augustine's College in Perth. Stephen, a special welcome along to 2020. Yeah, good to be with you, Neil. Hey, Stephen, the conference is billed as a new initiative in classical Christian education. Now, this might be something that's just fallen through the cracks for a lot of people. A lot of people won't even know what you're saying when you say, what is classical Christian education? Give us a little insight here into what that means. Sure. Thanks, Neil. Yeah, so in many ways, uh, classical Christian education is um, a recovery of the West's own indigenous culture. Uh, it follows the natural steps of a child's development. So, for example, the grammar stage would be your, your junior primary stage, uh, when children like to do you know, lots of repetition, lots of rote learning, lots of structure. Uh, we then go into the um, logic stage, which is sort of senior primary to middle school. And then as they get towards, uh, start asking more questions, they get to that, that stage that starts frustrating teachers and parents. Uh, then they get towards the rhetoric stage. So uh, the classical model roughly follows the, the natural development of a child along those different stages. So that's one of the key differences. And some are going to say, well, what's the difference between the classical Christian education model and what my kids are learning at school today in the state system or even in uh, the, uh, the independent uh, Christian school system? Is there something that sets this apart? Yes, it's very different. I think that what has happened gradually over time is that the system of education that is being uh, followed in most of the state schools and in Australia in the private schools, it has become a more uh, progressive curriculum. Uh, so you, you'll, by the time you finish your educational journey in Australian schools, you'll, you'll usually come out with a worldview that uh, would regard Australia as inherently uh, a nation built on uh, you know, the the invasion of Australia, it would be the sort of more of a black armband theory of history uh, and a more woke view of issues such as uh, climate change uh, and a more uh, woke view of, of gender relationships as well. And part of the problem in Australia is because everyone's funded by the state, including Catholic schools, Christian schools, the Ivy League schools, uh, you're going to get the same curriculum pretty much wherever you go. So, so that is one of the 
issues that's come about. I think incrementally over a long period of time, we've ended up with a curriculum that is, in many ways, doesn't teach young people to be proud of being Australian. So when we think of classical Christian education, the word classical is a really powerful word in all of this because in some sense uh, we might have to actually go to our parents or our grandparents uh, to remember what they were learning in school and some of that would have been along the lines of these classical Christian education, uh, things like you know understanding and studying Latin or classical Greek or uh, rhetoric and logic. Those sorts of things... They're sometimes they're not even in our conversation anymore, are they? That's that's correct. Uh, there are a number of you know, so very few schools would offer you know Latin or classical Greek. Uh, I think it's important to sort of uh, respond to that question though by looking at uh, beyond the word classical, because what you're really looking at is a a narrative. So the classical Christian narrative is that uh, Christianity grew up in the Greek or Roman world after the Christianization of the the Roman Empire. Uh, the Latin West and the uh, became the Byzantine East, so the Greek-speaking East. Uh, so Christianity comes into Europe. The Apostle Paul is directed by the Holy Spirit. He goes west into, uh, from Asia into what's now northern Greece. Uh, so the church, from the beginning, the early the church has a unique relationship with Western civilization. So you, know, you learn the New, T- New Testament's mostly in Greek. So you've got that connection. And classical Christian education begins with that connection, that there's a relationship between Western civilization and the gospel. And much of history has been a struggle between uh, the, you know, the church and uh, its mission to the West in the context of the different challenges that it faces. So that's one side of the classical Christian uh, education. It's a narrative. It's the West's own indigenous culture, and it begins with that link between the West and the Christian faith. So all of those things from history, uh, the Greek and the Roman world, uh, sometimes we talk about uh, you know Greco-Roman, um, but then we've got Judeo-Christian, and we've got those sort of running in parallel. So to understand the way history develops, understanding these very, very big uh, concepts is a great start for understanding where we've come from in civilization. That's right, Neil. And I think it's also um, the classical model assumes unbelief. And I think that's also an important distinction. So it it assumes that you're going to have to argue your case. Uh, you know, why would you want to follow Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth? Well, you've got to actually start by being proactive and being able to defend your faith because Prominent figures who influenced the development of the classical model, like St. Augustine, uh, for example, he'd obviously come from pagan background, so he, he was used to having to think through different worldviews. And I think what we're seeing today is in many ways we've seen a return of some of the older uh, pagan worldviews. Uh, Louis Perry, who wrote a very good book um, on why the sexual revolution has failed, she said that we're repaganizing in the West. And you know, she's not a Christian, she's coming from a, 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 well, she was a feminist, now she's sort of been cancelled. But um, she's saying we're repaganizing, and I think that's why this classical Christian model is is a really opportune, it's a really appropriate model for the times that we're in, because it begins with this assumption that you're going to have to argue your case, and, and you're going to have to fight in the world of ideas for the Christian faith. Well, there'll be something of a challenge there that listeners to our conversation today might find confronting, repaganizing of the West. And that might mean the emergence of all of the baggage that comes with a pagan society. And we're heading in that sort of direction. You know, when I, in my introduction, when I said we're going through a cultural revolution or a sexual revolution, 
I'm wondering whether you think that those sorts of, you know, terminologies are actually too strong. Is this a crisis that we're in right now or is it something that's just on the sidelines? How do you describe the sorts of changes that are going on in our uh, civilization, in our Western culture? Well, I think there's cyclical and, and linear components to it because we, we know there's a cycle in human history where civilizations have certain characteristics uh, that that will, will be typical of a civilization in its period of growth to power. And then there's certain characteristics of its golden age, <clears throat> excuse me, and certain characteristics of decline. So, for example, it's a favorite uh, you know, trope in Western thought uh, to think of the decline of the West and associated with it with Rome. But there are some similarities, like an uh, obvious similarity would be, you know, uh, becoming more indulgent in entertainment or um, uh, the welfare state. Uh, You had a degree of those things happening at the time of the decline of the uh, West, certainly the Western Roman Empire. So there are some obvious similarities between the West at the moment and at least elements of the late Roman Empire. Uh, I'm, you know, we, we can go off into all sorts of tangents and there might be listeners who might like to help direct where our conversation goes today. Uh, but sometimes when we think of the Roman Empire, uh, there's, you know, some thought around what caused a fall of the Roman Empire. And uh, one of the elements there was a rise in cruelty. Uh, Now, I wonder whether you've got any thoughts here, because we are seeing in our own culture, along with the cultural revolution, sexual revolution that we might be observing now, a rise in this very significant intolerance of one another that overflows into a cruelty to one another. And I wonder whether you think that might be a part of what we're experiencing Yes, I think that's a really important point. I mean, part of what we're seeing, you know, obviously history is it's attributed to Mark Twain. I don't know if it's true, but he said history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. So, of course, there's never quite, you know, these patterns of decline or there's similarities with Rome. I also think that cultural Marxism is a very real uh, phenomenon because uh, that's if you look at identity politics, the, the groups in identity politics, you know, the normals, uh, the uh, maybe the sort of straight white Christian male, it may be the... Uh, groups that are that are out of favor, like farmers are out of favor because they're damaging the environment. And I think one of the one of the features of cultural Marxism is that there's no forgiveness. Uh, you are you are sort of doomed by your membership of a particular group. If it's a group that is seen as an oppressive group, uh, then you, you you know you can't really find a way of redemption. And I think that's that point's been made by commentators like Douglas Murray recently, that there is this. Um, uh, this condemnation and, and this lack of forgiveness, and that feeds anger. So I think part of that is a worldview difference. If you think humans are fundamentally flawed and fallen and capable of redemption, uh, Christ can bring uh, redemption, that's a different way of understanding the world to thinking that the problems of the world are caused by oppressive groups. And, of course, we all know where that can lead if you look at the history of the 20th century. Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. And our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. On the eve of a conference that's on in Perth tomorrow, it's called the Reading the Times Conference. We're talking about the cultural and sexual revolution that we all can see happening in our own communities. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Before we even develop some more points, let's take a call. Terry is actually driving in his car right now. Terry, welcome along to 2020. What are your thoughts? Thank you so much. Um, 
Well, this really um, really got me thinking because I've got um, one child still at school who's in grade seven, and it's a Christian school, so I won't mention any names, but I'm really shocked at some of the things that have come out that he's come back with. Um, one of them was just a really anti-political uh, um, against some politicians. I won't. I don't know whether I should mention the names of the politicians, but they're conservative, and I was really shocked that at the um, you know saying that this politician's a racist. And and I said, well, where did you learn that? And she learned it from one of the teachers during the class. And and then I sat down with her because I believe the co- the politician isn't racist. And uh, I said, well, did you ask, where did the information come from? And, you know, you just can't take things at face value because someone says you've always got a question. And um, we sat down. At first, she was really antagonistic on the topic. I said, no, she's definitely a racist, this person, you know. And um, I sat down with her. I said, where did the information come from? Turns out it came from ABC News and it was secondhand or thirdhand. And then we went to the website, had a look at the politician, said, well, where's the racism in, in this person's policies? Uh, and, you know, there was nothing there that, that I think was racist, but it's not the only case. It's happened quite regularly. And my children go to a... Or my, my, I've only got one daughter at school now, but I had two going to that Christian school. And we had this constant antagonism that just comes from this progressive mindset and I think that the fact that a teacher is teaching in a Christian school um, doesn't necessarily mean that they understand the Word of God or even a good grasp on history and, or how to interpret it. Terry, and it really you're, can, you're making yeah. some very good points here and plenty to work with with our special guest. Um, that word racism is weaponized in so many ways and uh, <laughs> it's thrown around. Um, Stephen, your thoughts here for Terry, and uh, he's sharing some things that I know that there'll be a lot of listeners who'll be able to uh, to, to think that's uh, you know that's happening in my world as well. Yes, I think that's right. Well, I think a lot of well-meaning Christians have been uh, seduced by this critical race theory um, without understanding what it is. And I think part of you know, part of not teaching history well in our culture today is you know, critical race theory draws on Rousseau's idea of the noble savage that people will. We're living in harmony with nature, and the way to get back to you know a pure uh, way of life is to uh, get back to indigenous cultures and including indigenous spirituality. So don't forget these uh, intellectual elites for many generations now have thought Christianity is in, intrinsically a, a, a form of oppression. So to to be free from that, you've got to get free from Christianity. That also means being free from European culture, literally from white culture in radical circles. So so that this idea that whiteness is associated with oppression has roots that go back to Rousseau's idea of the noble savage. And that's all over Australia's radical pursuit of indigenous policies where, uh, and we saw this with the voice campaign recently, where you were you know, labeled racist, even though there are many Aboriginal people who didn't uh, support the voice, uh, because this idea of critical race theory is very much present in Australia and also in our school system. And I think a lot of Christians are fooled by it. And as we've got Terry on the line still, uh, this thought that uh, these are, and the one he's talking about here, a teacher in a Christian school. So we might hope that teachers in Christian schools hold to a Christian ethic and are aligned with the denominational values of their school, but that's not always the case, is it? Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And I think the problem is that, as I say, Australian schools are all funded by the state. So um, so that, that obviously the, he who pays the piper calls the tune. So it's more difficult... You know, I'm not criticizing Christian schools, that's just the reality of the situation. But I think one of the 
one of the things that's missing is you know, is a Christian tertiary uh, institutions that teach education from a um, from a Christian perspective. Uh, so, but we do have some of those growing up around the country. But at the moment, most of our Christian teachers are trained in secular universities, and they and they therefore will absorb some of the of the secular ideas that 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 they're surrounded with for for their graduate years. Uh, Terry, uh, we've still got you on the line. Anything further to add? Well, I think that parents just need to realise that they've got to have a lot of input in their children and try and stay in touch with yeah. what they're being taught because uh, if you want to truly um, raise a Christian child, then you've got to give them a biblical foundation and you've got to give them a biblical worldview. And I love the stuff that um, your guest is saying about the classical education. In fact, I'd love to be recommended one book that I could get uh, on that that I could read with the family. Um, but you've got to be proactive in you know staying on top of the information that the children are getting and try and sort of um, counter it in a way that doesn't put the school down because they are, after all are living they are going there for so many hours and I just find that I've got to you know make sure that I'm sort of active in her education and we try and sort of bring bring Christian view on everything. Terry, good thought there. And uh, yeah, Stephen, is there a book that comes to mind? Because there might be other listeners uh, waiting with a pen and paper or they've got their mobile device out ready to write it down. <laughs> is there is there a book that you might start with as a parent uh, that might point you into a classical Christian education model? I mean, it's an oldie but a goodie. I'd still recommend Repairing the Ruins by Douglas Wilson. It's uh, you know, been around for a while, but it, it's a very good primer for parents interested in classical Christian education. Of course, lots of homeschool parents around Australia do follow the classical model for, for this reason. So Repairing the Ruins by Douglas Wilson. Terry, thank you so much for your call. And uh, we're taking calls. <laughs> what are your thoughts? one 800 316-316, Repairing the Ruins by Douglas Wilson. And uh, as you say, uh, sometimes in the homeschool models, uh, if you want to really, in some ways, uh, be intentional about how you develop the education of your children, this homeschool model, this is something you're quite deeply involved in too. Yes, that's right. So we have a, a micro school, a number of micro schools that are around Perth, uh, there's uh, one called Coromandeo, there's another one called the Classical School, uh, and those micro schools, you know, they might meet a few mornings a week, uh, so you're not getting traditional homeschooling, well, you can obviously do traditional homeschooling, we are literally just at home, but more often than not, it's about private tutoring and learning in these small groups that form uh, around these micro schools, and I think that model's working really quite well in parts of Australia now. When we talk about woke agendas, uh, wokeism, uh, I know you've got a comparison to even the biblical notion that we have of idolatry. What's the connection here in your mind here, Stephen? Well, I mean, if you take the word of God out of your culture, which we've done consistently since the 1960s, then you're going to start putting up other, there are going to be other forms of authority that take over. And I think in the early liberal stage, we had, you know, the old liberals, as they call them, were quite tolerant, but now we're seeing that that tolerance has largely disappeared, and uh, and, and we're having a much more controlled society, uh, where, and I think one of the elements of wokeism, I talked about critical race theory, I think you can also see it with the politicization of science, I think we saw that during the COVID period, it was a, a hard to know what the truth was, uh, I think we see it with the transgender issue, 
I think we see it with climate change, a number of issues where that are controversial, but what disturbs me is, is why, why can't we talk about it? Why can't we discuss these issues openly and do, do the research without fear of being cancelled? And I think that's because we've started replacing the old biblical uh, culture that came out of a biblical worldview with a new culture that where the state has to be the arbiter of morality and the state has to decide what's true, what's true and not true, whether it comes to marriage or science or, uh, or what, what our curriculum should be. It's, it's becoming very, very state-orientated, and I think that's a feature of wokeism, is a form of idolatry of the state. We'll talk some more about that. Uh, nearly news time. Let's see if we can squeeze in another call, an anonymous call from Western Australia. Uh, welcome along. Need to be quick. What are your thoughts? Good morning, Neil. So my thoughts, um, I agree with Terry, the previous caller, that we as parents, we do need to input our Christian values in our children. I work at a Christian, Catholic Christian school, and unfortunately, because they're allowed to hire non-Christian staff, they, are also, they also allow them to teach religion classes. My child also goes to this Catholic school. What happens is they in these religion classes, when they're teaching them, they're not teaching them the Word of God. Instead, they're te- teaching them the alternatives and putting, up, and putting down the Word of God, saying these are just stories and not putting emphasis on the importance of the Word of God. They say they're just stories. And it's, it's really sad because my child comes home and we discuss. And, um, and they say, oh, that's what they were talking about in class, which is completely not biblical. Isn't that a challenge for us? I haven't got time to get a a response right now from Stephen, but Stephen, make a note or two. We'll come back and talk about that after Vision National News. I want to thank the caller, anonymous caller from WA, uh, hearkening back to just before the news, Stephen, where we heard from an anonymous caller who was quite critical of the school that her own uh, children were attending, a Christian school, and the teachers not defending the faith that they would you would you would hope that they would have when they're teaching religious instruction in class is this something that you keep hearing about regularly yes i think that we've become quite defensive about the faith in the west and i think a lot of western christians have lost their nerve and uh we've we've sort of uh wouldn't say we've given up but a lot of people seem to have given up and I, I don't think that's what uh, Jesus wants us to do. Um, but I, so I think we've got to, uh, the subject of this conference, really reading the Times, is trying to, uh, to, to understand what God's saying to us through the present moment. And I think one of the things that I really have learned in the last couple of years is this increasing dehumanization of particular groups of people. And I think you see this uh, obviously in artificial intelligence, in this idea of having you know, chips put in your head and, and various things like that. And John Lennox has written a very interesting book. I haven't got to, onto it yet, but it's been recommended to me by a number of people looking at the challenge of artificial intelligence. But uh, one of the, the features of our times, I think, is this idea that people are, uh, are not being treated with their full dignity as creating God's image. And the Christian faith, properly understood, is what gives us a foundation for human rights. And we should have confidence in defending the Christian faith and not being embarrassed about it, which often, unfortunately, does seem to be the case at the moment. Amazing. We talk about Christian teachers, or at least teachers, we might say, in Christian schools, and perhaps not even being confident with their own faith and to be able to address the questions that their students might have. And, I, and just as you're sharing those things, I'm, I'm thinking that I wonder whether teachers might even be afraid of the questions of their students in the classroom. 
feeling almost at risk of being cancelled in their own classroom or, you know, given some sort of reputation or called names. Mm. Uh, is that, do you think, you know, maybe some of the risks, maybe I'm being extreme here and there might be listeners who can contribute there, but, um, you know, teachers wanting to be cool in front of the students, is that something do you think might be happening? I think it's definitely a, a case in point. I remember uh, Niall Ferguson saying... Um, a couple of years ago, I think I was talking to John Anderson about some of the changes that have come through social media. And I think he made a really important point that we become an democracy, not a democracy. Uh, and we've become, become very much governed by emotions to the point where uh, it's how you feel about things is what really matters. And I think that this, this has been very much the case with uh, the transgender movement. I was really a, a woman trapped in a man versa. My father would have thought I was crazy, but in our society now, that's quite plausible for many people because of of existing ideas that have come into circulation a number of uh, decades ago. And you know, and Carl Truman has a very good book on the rise and triumph of the modern self. I think all Christian teachers should read that book because it explains this idea that really what matters is your, what you feel you are and your how your your inner feelings govern your experience of reality that's then reinforced on social media, often in a very emotive and simplistic way. And, and I think that's, that would help teachers to feel more confident about their faith uh, if they understand uh, the, what's actually, there's there certain reasons why people think this way, they're influenced by, you know, they followed Freud in this area or they've followed uh, Marx in a particular area. He calls it the shotgun marriage of Freud and Marx, this idea that Christian views of sexuality are oppressive but as Tom Holland has pointed out, if you go back uh, to the ancient world, it's the opposite. The church grew uh, in large part because it was a way of people escaping the sexual slavery of the ancient world. So the, the, the narrative, again, there is very misleading often and not well understood. Uh, good thoughts. 1-800-316-316. To join in our conversation, let's take another call. Tim is in Margate in Queensland. Hey, Tim, welcome along. Yes, good morning. Thanks very much for an informative discussion. I was just going to encourage that dad that rang up about his daughter or son going to a Christian school. Um, uh, my uh, my daughter, who homeschools, she had a friend come and said they went to this Christian school and they're reading this book and it had some very abstract things in it that weren't very Christian. I then contacted one of the guys had helped set up the school and said, do you know what's being taught at your Christian school? And anyway, when the, the, the outcome was, they came back, the teacher wasn't aware of it and the hierarchy. So I really encourage people that are going to Christian schools, if they don't agree with some of the stuff that's being taught, they need to challenge it within a Christian school. And uh, don't just sit back and say, look, we're going to teach them. Go and challenge them and say, look, you're teaching this to our students. This is not biblical. And we're... Uh, Tim, are you still with us? Yes. Uh, Tim somehow has dropped out there. Hey, um, come around this uh, for a few moments here, Stephen, uh, because it's interesting, mm. isn't it? Because uh, if you've got a problem with what's being taught at your Christian school, or it might even be a state school, um, it's one thing actually to get a growing band of parents who can share a lot of things that you might be saying in good heartedness, but it might even sound like gossip, uh, perhaps going to the principal 
and making your thoughts known. That might be a good start. And, uh, you know, obviously you do talk about these things as a parent, but what are your thoughts here for, for our listener, Tim? Yeah, I think it's a really important point. I mean, I think we've, again, we're often a bit too timid. I think we need to be, be bold and courageous, but in the right way. And, uh, and you know, gather the evidence and get a, you know, and get a couple of people involved in, in, in making your voice heard at the school if, if those issues are going on, and they are going on. Um, but I think it's, it's useful to have the background and to understand. It actually makes you more compassionate to deal with people because if you're only getting your information from the mainstream media or, you, or, or you've had a, your education's been purely a secular education, then it's natural that you're going to, to reflect some of those, those views. So we've got to patiently you know, call people back to the Word of God and apply it consistently and graciously as much as we can. Are you still with us, Tim? Yes. Ah, we've got you. Something, uh, something dropped out there. Anything further to add, just very quickly? No, I, I think that's wise advice. But uh, you know, just, yeah, especially the, the parents from a Christian school, they need to challenge the hierarchy on this. You know, mm. we're, otherwise we're just we're going to lose it. Um, you know, the ALRC have said that they're wanting to open it up to all sorts of teachers and not from Christian perspectives. Well. Make a stand now. I know it's difficult, as, as it was just been advised. I grab a couple of other people and say, did you know this was going on? This is being taught. Some teachers yeah. are doing it without the, the right. knowledge of the hierarchy. Tim, Thank you you've that. made some good points. Thank you so much for your call. And just to reflect on that, the Australian Law Reform Commission right now is deliberating. I think they're getting ready to... Uh, release their report on what they're going to be recommending to the government as to how they're going to reform laws to take away the right of Christian schools to employ teachers that only will hold to that Christian school's ethos. That's a big challenge. Uh, on the other hand, uh, something might be happening already within, like a white anting from within, because teachers are not able to teach the sorts of things that are in line with our Christian thought. Anyway, a further uh, comment at all on that a prospect with the ALRC and their deliberations. I, I no doubt you're following that, uh, Stephen. Yeah, and as I say, said earlier, if you if you take the word of God out of your culture, then you're going to have other authorities that come in to to replace it. And I think, you know, I think that's what's happening. I think the state is taking over the areas where, where the church should have had its its authority. And because we've got this new woke um, socialist view, on, it's really a form of Marxism, a form of socialism that emphasizes equality and that there's certain oppressive groups. If Christians are an oppressive group, then they're going to um, be seen as, you're going to be seen as doing the right thing to then, you know, supposedly liberate people from these oppressive concepts. And that's what's behind this. We've absorbed this idea of equality of outcomes, not equality of opportunity. And I think that's, that's all over the current educational direction. You've got this conference on tomorrow, and you'll have a lineup of speakers. Uh, they'll be tackling different dimensions of this conversation we're talking about today. Uh, you've got this motive to recover a sense of the times, uh, reading the times. How do you describe the importance of what it is to have this sort of balance between faith and reason? Because it's not really a head in the sand from the side of the people with faith. Uh, you're saying actually recovering a sense of the times is going to be important and you've got to, to do that you've got to understand what the times look like which is I guess what a conversation like this is about so uh, what are your thoughts here in recovering the sense of the times we're living in well we've, we've got this um, this Daniel project and I think the I think one of the things that 
there's a kind of a low trust in leadership, I think, in uh, in our society at the moment. And I think that part of recovering that um, uh, idea of leadership is for uh, new Daniels to you know to be to be taught, to be trained, and we trust God to raise them up and Daniels to come through the system. And this uh, this certificate four uh, is a really important project. This is a something for junior adults. They can do it in year eleven and twelve. They can do it within their school. It's a, an accredited um, program, and they can do it as a um, a VT um, day at the, at the school uh, online. There are a few places around Australia. There's one in Melbourne, one in Perth, where they may be able to come in and do it as a day program as well. But it's available online throughout Australia from next year, and is a really good preparation for year eleven and twelves to. Uh, get taught you know, myths and, and heroes of the ancient and medieval worlds, learn about uh, Christian history, learn about the heroes of the faith, and be equipped in terms of leadership with uh, arts like rhetoric, public speaking, uh, research, essay writing, all the skills that they're going to need to do well uh, after school, but give them a really strong biblical worldview that they're otherwise not going to get very easily in uh, most of the existing systems. Now, I know that'll have caught the attention of a lot of parents uh, who've got teenagers uh, going through school, uh, some of them about to graduate, some might be a few years away yet, and they're thinking, well, how do I prepare my child? I mean, their options look like they're going to be moving into one of our state or secular universities. It's called the Daniel Project, actually a certificate for in tertiary preparation. Uh, is this yeah. like a mini version of what you'd get in a classical Christian education? Is that the way you describe it? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good way of describing it. It's it really is. Um, so we're really be giving our students a taste of, I think, a much broader knowledge, much richer knowledge, uh, and Christian wisdom that they're going to be able to. Hopefully, this is the seed that's then going to germinate in their lives as they go uh, forward into tertiary study or into workforce or whatever they choose to do. Uh, this will give them the platform uh, they need to do, and they can do it from anywhere uh, around Australia. And what you'd learn in the Daniel Project, if you're going through that study, is it's more a defensive position that you'll have, that when you're exposed to woke ideas in the secular university, that you'll be able to stand or is it the sort of thing that, uh, you know, it's going on the front foot here? And, uh, and actually, uh, you know, uh, some people might be thinking, oh, if you do a Daniel project like that, are you going to turn my kids into activists? Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts here? Well, I think it's fine if you're turning them in, in, into the right kind of activists. But um, I, I think that, I mean, if I could just go over what's in the program, like the first term you're going to get the big story of God's uh, working through through the Bible. Um, you're going to also learn practical skills on how to study. Uh, then you get into um, what uh, we've called the greatest thinkers of humanity. Um, roll up your sleeves, blend the timeless wisdom of the classics, the heroes of history, uh, for an epic adventure from the ancient to the modern world. So, and then we have a number of different components, the ancient world, heroes, myths, and beginnings. So we look at ancient Greece through the period of Augustine uh, and his conversion to the Christian faith. We do the early modern world, Reformation, Renaissance, and exploration from Luther to Jane Austen, from the Confessions to Frankenstein, all the way through to, uh, to the modern period, um, early modern period. We've also got the medieval world, uh, looking at um, uh, from Beowulf to Shakespeare, and then we've got the modern world, Age of Revolutions, all the way through to, um, we call that from New Worlds, Empires and Space Travel to Guillotines, Gulags, and the Gestapo. 
buckle up for the starting age of revolutions. <laughs> so that is, I mean, that's amazing because what you've just described in the last 30 seconds uh, is something of a history of the past 2,000 years and how those thoughts have developed. And it might be the rise of what we might understand as good, virtuous uh, life, uh, the way that those things have fallen, and now we're into a new cultural revolution, a sexual revolution, and we might be thinking about how those things might be recovered. Uh, perhaps not just as a hearkening back to the past with rose-coloured glasses, but I imagine you've got to look to the future here, Stephen. And I guess if you understand your place in the context of the last 2,000 years, you're the only one who can actually say, well, this is what I think the future should look like for a flourishing civilization. Is that a fair enough way of saying, you know, contextualize where you are in the history of the world? Yeah, I think that's really well put, um, Neil. And and the last part of the Daniel projects, the students actually do a capstone project. So they do an actual, they might have found an area of particular interest or expertise that they've developed, and then they get a chance to put their own stamp on it. And the idea is that they're going to really replicate that in their life over the course of their life as as Christian citizens and, and, as you say, live wise and virtuous lives. And, and I think there's a strong emphasis on character in this uh, Daniel project as well. So it's not, it's not just knowledge, it's also practical. It's also about character and godliness. And I think that's very attractive to a lot of people at the moment because we've got such a lack of confidence in, and we've seen such poor leadership in so many areas and such a lack of courage but I think uh, having this is going to be very attractive to a lot of people. And character and godliness, uh, for some people that just sort of rolls off the tongue and it needs some, you know, uh, some substance to understand that. Uh, but the fruit of that character building, that godliness, is really, I guess, around the restoration of human dignity. And it's the virtues that we want to be able to display uh, in our family and community life that actually overflows into brought more broadly into the way the society develops. It's knowing when to be restrained and uh, when to be activist. Uh, these sorts of things, if you're, if you're talking about recovery, I guess if you're talking in a positive sense, what you've got to be able to teach uh, us all how to do is, is to get involved in some of these. And that's coming back to this biblical Christian foundation. Yeah, it really is, and I think that it's, you know, I think it's, you know, uh, this is the time for something different, and I think, uh, you know, we know what works, and we have the advantage, it's a disadvantage in other ways, but in the West we do have the advantage of having a very long uh, interaction with the Christian faith, uh, and this really is a snapshot of that that uh, gives us an, an insight into some of the solutions. So, for example, even people like Tom Holland, who I don't always agree with, but he's a you know ancient historian, and he gave a talk a few years ago, why I changed my mind about Christianity. And it was because when he looked at the ancient world, he realized that the ancient pagan world was such an alien place. And it was, and one of the things he really brings out is this dehumanization of, of human life. And he realized how much of it was really a slave-based uh, culture and uh, how, how liberating the gospel really was for many people in the Greek or Roman world. And so but, but that narrative has been turned around and into this, um, this half-truth uh, narrative that um, through cultural Marxism, when in fact Christianity is truly liberating. And uh, so we need to recover that, that real vision of freedom in Christ. And I think that's very attractive to a lot of people. Only a few minutes left in our conversation and coming back to some of the early things we were talking about, uh, a cultural revolution that we're experiencing now, the sexual revolution, uh, the way that enslaves, uh, the way that exploits. 
Do you think we might be somewhere in uh, a transition time where things perhaps are about to get a whole lot worse, but right now we're thinking that a lot of those things that are in this woke religion of today, uh, they are making us feel liberated, but they're actually leading to a new slavery. Uh, Is this a way to talk about how things are transpiring in our current circumstance, in our culture? And, you know, that comes back to... Mm. You know, what the problem is, uh, nice to talk us about a solution, but, you know, understanding where we're at. Is that a fair enough way of saying we're, we're in the way of moving into paganism? Paganism actually is enslavement. Yeah, exactly right. And I mean, there's a very poignant uh, quote at the beginning of Louise Perry's book on the sexual revolution when she's speaking to a secular archaeologist about, and they were talking about ancient Rome, and, and, uh, and he made a comment about uh, you can always find the brothels uh, <laughs> from ancient Rome. And she said, how's that? He said, I'll oh, just look for the baby's bones. And there would always be these piles of baby's bones uh, where all the brothels were in the Roman, the old pagan Roman empire. And it, it sort of struck me as very much, and Louis Perry who's not a Christian, was quite struck by that, that it's very, uh, this dehumanization of people is what follows uh, paganism. And it follows it also in its modern, its modern culturally Marxist form, where people are reduced to their membership of supposedly oppressed or and oppressor groups uh, and, you know, you see the same thing happening with the Middle East, where uh, with this rise of anti-Semitism, it's a dehumanization, in this case, of Jewish people. And I think that's a feature of paganism. You have this dehumanization and this complete opposite of the culture of life. So we shouldn't be in any way afraid to speak up for a culture of life. That's, that should be a badge of honor. Well, Stephen, an absolute pleasure getting to know you today. And I know that listeners might think they can get a connection to you and find out about some of the things that you're doing. You're based in WA. Um, You're called an enrichment teacher promoting classical Christian education and uh, the St. Augustine's uh, College in Perth. Uh, You mentioned there's a number of micro campuses around and uh, you're into the homeschooling space as well. You've also uh, got this Daniel project underway, a course uh, that teenagers who are going into a secular university will really benefit from. It's like a mini version of this classical Christian education that we're talking about. Uh, But also the most uh, obvious thing uh, to point to is for listeners, and that is what's happening tomorrow. The Reading the Times conference, which is on in Perth at Belmont RSL sub-branch in Ascot in WA. It's on tomorrow. You'll be able to get the details at saintaugustans.com.au, saintaugustans.com.au, tickets from ticketbow.com.au. Did I miss anything there, Stephen, that uh, listeners might need to know about tomorrow's conference? No, that's a really great and helpful introduction, Neil. They, they're very welcome to attend. We've got a good crowd coming, and I think it'll be a very worthwhile special day of fellowship and discussion and encouragement. Augustins.com.au. Stephen Herworth, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today on 2020. Thanks very much, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.